Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. Uh, today, we are joined by none other than uh, a gentleman we may have all heard uh, maybe a while back. I don't know. He's some guy. Pete, how you doing, Pete? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, life is good. I was caught off guard because uh, <laughs> everyone knowing me is high praise or a deadly insult. I got to juggle that out. Uh-oh. Um, we're on we're we're in bad territory already, folks. Um, also, uh, we have Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Daddy has turned off the room, and I'm very cross. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is sort of funny uh, because the room was just simply like a Victorian tea room. It was a <laughs> yeah. simulation of a Victorian tea room with too much jam. And the uh, anyway, um, honestly, so that's how I feel about the holodeck. <laughs> like they are insufficiently creative with that thing. Like I would go in there and do like Roman arena and all sorts of crazy shit all the time. Well, don't forget they had that one guy that uh, didn't seem to gel with the team. It, and he, was, on, he had, was that Reginald Barkley? Was that his name? Yes. yes Barkley, he's correct. the only one who got it as far as I'm yeah. concerned. I was like, oh, I, I'm having a tough time with all my bosses. Well, fuck you. I'm in charge of you. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 mean, I did like how he just made, he made like a sycophant world where everyone loved him and just, <laughs> just said how awesome he was. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> he game master anthony that fucker. <laughs> well, and you know how they're like, okay, let's go and do Sherlock Holmes. It's like, fuck that. Let's do Scooby-Doo. I mean, like, let's yeah. get weird. Let's let's get dangerous, man. Do Darkwing Duck. Mm. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> since, Wait, since we're already jumping like 15 moves ahead to the holodeck, uh, I wanted to talk. Uh, we, we wanted to get together to talk about uh, one of the um, quote classic. He, he was included in the ABCs of science fiction, uh, none other than Ray Bradbury uh, and his little short story, uh, The Velt. Uh, published in 1950. I forget if it was like uh, like September or something like that. I, I don't think we need to get down to month, dude. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. Um, in any case, uh, also probably like got paid rather rather well because it was to the Saturday eve Saturday evening post. So, which is so uh, funny to imagine. Like, I'm going to go read some science fiction in the Saturday Evening Post. Harumph! Mm. <laughs> and I'll, I'll <laughs> hear about this Hubert, this Hubert Humphrey fellow. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of shakes the the pages. <clears throat> I get the impression this Mister Hitler fellow isn't a Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so uh, I guess we should probably just the, the premise is pretty simple. We, we've already started talking a little bit about it beforehand. Uh, it's a, a nursery room, specifically uh, the nursery for the two children, Wendy and Peter. Hmm. I wonder if those names mean something. Are they references? Who knows? Um, who then uh, have an interactive sort of a holographic nursery where the walls sort of like melt away and whatever they they uh, want to think about uh constructing as a as a setting or whatever is suddenly the the nursery provides um so uh and um uh, the the parents end up being a little disturbed by this because they have decided to uh stay on an african veldt 
where lions are off stalking uh, prey in the distance and so on and so forth. So um, I'll, I'll leave it at that because we're, we're, we're probably going to get a, a little into the, the, the rest of the story as we, as we discuss. What struck me about it was that on, on reread, cause I've, I had read this a couple of times before, but it had probably been, I don't know, a, a year or two is mm-hmm. um, what always stands out in my memory about the story is, of course, the kind of, you know, v- VR holodeck nursery. And I think that's what stands out in most people's um, minds. But the story spends, honestly, more of its running time talking about like home automation and kind of the the accumulation of comforting convenience as much, if not more than it does focusing on, on the nursery. Um, And that really felt like the theme that stood out to me that I don't know if it just slips from my mind or if it's just the imagery isn't as evocative, but that stands out much more as like a concern from the author's point of view that's being addressed. Like that really felt much more like the point of the story and the nursery was just kind of where that theme came to a head. I'm I'm of the opinion that if if Carlo had taken the story, hand typed it out and emailed it to us and said, hey, check out the new story I wrote. And we read it. We'd be like, fuck you. That's Ray Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, <laughs> that, that's I, I mean, good. yes, <laughs> it's like Bradbury has a number of. I don't know if you call them ticks or themes or what, but one of the things that had definitely hit him hard was the idea was that the advancement of technology, particularly communication technology, ironically separates us from each other and isolates us. It's like you know you know his his short story about the 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 guy who's wandering around outside and everybody else is watching TV on the inside and he ends up getting arrested. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is uh, what is that one called? Is it the pedestrian? <laughs> but it, it's it's like a. I believe it's like a um, a, a a story that he began, and then it sort of blossomed into Fahrenheit four fifty one to a certain extent. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, oh, and that one, everybody lectures him that it's about book burning or used to, and he's like, "Fuck you! It's not about book burning. It's about goddamn TV. I should yeah, know. Yeah. I write for it." <laughs> Yeah. Well, he 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 wrote he wrote uh, screenplays, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he but, did he did I'm write screens. He, he he did write some screenplays. Yeah. Um, oh, what I was gonna say is, yeah, and it's um, I think you're right, Pete, about the the kind of separation of people through through technology, and it's not it's not just communication mediums in this story. It's really a kind of, um. Uh, okay, this is th- this is definitely me doing a boss baby to a degree, but it really is plumbing some of the same depths that were horrifying to someone like H.P. Lovecraft or Robert Howard, who I talk mm-hmm. about constantly. But but I, I think part of the reason is so much of science fiction addresses the complications of modernity, and in a lot of ways. H.P. Lovecraft was one of the first people to glimpse and perceive that that horror of modernity. And his his particular blend of horror was a very, you know, a, a very specific one and a very kind of nihilistic one in a lot of ways. Whereas Ray Bradbury feels like he's coming at it much more of like a desperate struggle against it. But the Velt is certainly certainly on the more fatalist side of, of things where what, what I was really struck by in the story is um this sense of the the couple who's I, I I know it's something in Linda I totally forget the the husband's um, name I believe it's George George yes yeah yeah thank you yes George yeah uh George and Linda are really horrified by the extent to which their children have become creatures of maternity and they are creatures of a world that is not their own um and that transition between and th- this to a lot of extent is is something that all parents will go through right because as you bring new people into the world they begin in they start out inhabiting your world that's the only world that they can know because it's it's your world hi chewy that you live in 
Um, and Chewie's also very upset about that. <laughs> yes, he should be. Uh, and very quickly, you realize that no, your your children are creatures of of tomorrow. They're creatures of today, and you are already a creature of yesterday. You will never fully understand the world that they live in, and they will never, and that they will probably look to some degree at yours with scorn for at least a while. And that that central tension of like the sense of of George and Linda being creatures of the past and their children are creatures of the future and they don't they don't like living by the rules of the past feels like it's really what's wriggling around at the core of this story. And I was really struck by it on on, on this time reading it. Well I I I think to your point, Kurt, um there is a point where, uh, after the initial ex- exploration of the nursery, and George finds it to be sort of stuck in this, you know, he, he's like just the, the the illusion is so complete that he starts sweating and he, you know, he starts, you know, like really feeling like he's in an African veld. Um, and he, um, he sort of realizes that something's up right um and, and when he goes back to uh, his his spouse his, to linda to talk about it they they sort of have like this this conversation where um they want to call in the psychologist who had sort of calibrated uh the kids to the nursery and vice versa but also they're sitting there you know like going having a almost a conversation talking almost across each other about how they had raised Wendy and Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how it like, Oh, they were too permissive and they, 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 you know, these kids don't have any structure and it, it definitely uh, sort of is of its moment because there is some, some hints at like corporal punishment uh, as, you know, sort of like a disciplinary measure and stuff like that. And, it's funny because I it I think that this is one of those conversations that every parent has at a certain point, right? Where it's like, well, the kids are acting up. Did we did we not do things like in the past, and that's why they're they're doing this now, or whatever, or, or we're too permissive, or you know maybe they need more structure, discipline, that type of thing. Well, even even before that, though, um, George and Linda have a conversation about how how they have become kind of disconnected and and lazy. And there's a very 1950s remark where Linda's like, I don't have any purpose. There's no cooking and cleaning for me to do anymore. Gosh, George. And um and, and and then she says, you know, G- George, you don't have anything to do either. You just sit around smoking more and more and kind of staring off into space. Um, and so, and and then, you know, th- throughout the story, it returns to this theme of like they don't do anything for themselves. And later on, the psychologist is like, if if your house, if your if your automated house stopped working, George, you know, could could you even crack an egg on your own tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course it, you know, it, it, it comes to a head with, with George doing like, you know, return with a V saying, we need to go back, <laughs> return, <laughs> return have, monkey <laughs> house, house on the prairie again. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's, it is, it is funny. Um, we're joking around because this is essentially a, a 1950s version of a concept that has been repackaged to us as a smart house, basically. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so in this case, it's much more like uh, a Jetsons version of like what that would look like. And, you know, now we would think, uh, you know, it would have to look like a holodeck or something like that, you know, or, you know, a, a variation of like computers everywhere where, you know, everything needs to be voice automated or what have you. Anyway, um, I'd like it's to just s- interesting. Okay, go ahead. I want to circle back to George and Linda for a second. Uh, it's one of the things about the story that confused the crap out of me because Wendy's dad is named George and his wife is named Mary and Linda has nothing to do with Peter Pan at all. <laughs> Maybe so, it was too on the nose. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Maybe yeah. it was. Yeah. I mean, but like, uh, one of, one of the nice things about Bradbury is he's, he's not, unwilling to spread the cheese around when he's trying to make a point and it just sort of like dropping linda in there was confusing to me 
<laughs> I, I, we have talked in the past about how how I consume stories with eyes full, mind empty, and I, I wasn't even paying attention to the whole to the whole Peter and Wendy thing. I was just like, well, you know, I was just going along. So it it, it literally didn't occur to me until until Carlo. Mentioned it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that does seem significant now." In retrospect, <laughs> well, for me, I think it depends upon how much a story drew me in. And let let me make it clear that I I think this is this is a good story. It's well done. It's very good. Yeah, I I've read it before. Like at some point, I was ten or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like as I was reading it now, my brain was like, "All right, asshole, let's look for other things to do." So. <laughs> To, to, to the point about the quality of the story, by, by the way, to, to take a step back from the themes, it's a very interesting blend of the the kind of stereotypical 1950s sci-fi where people are just kind of saying the themes out loud. And there, there is a bit of that where, where it's like, George, well, we've let these machines take over our lives. What have we given up for the sake of convenience? You know, I, I, I was I, I was making like a, a joke tweet about that earlier that nobody got, I don't think, except for, except for like us. But, us. but so be it. But so be it. Um, but at the same time, the prose feels very, uh, it feels much more elaborate than a lot of those uh, stories like you know when when we did the episode on um on uh the cold equations you know one of the things that we we remarked upon is is how the the prose is is it's not it's not it's not exactly like it's not bad but it's it, it's a little bit uh it's it's a little bit gee whiz at, at, at times um and uh and and this occasionally delves into that but it also has really beautiful evocative sections like um it, when it, when it's describing all the different smells and it describes like the rusty smell of animals that was that was really good mm, there's yeah, a whole yeah. sequence where he's talking about like the the lions were so real so feverishly and startlingly real you could feel the prickling fur on your hand your mouth was stuffed with the dusty upholstery smell of their heated pelts it's very that that felt like much more modern than 1950 um and so uh there is some of that. I don't know. When I read fiction from this era, I sometimes get that sense of distance. Like it's not, it's not as um, aesthetically involved as like a lot of modern fiction is. When you get like modern science fiction, I think is taken a lot more from like literary fiction um, and some of the writing style from that. Whereas like 1950s sci-fi is sometimes like you know. Captain Captain Slash got into the giant silver rocket and went to the moon. Um, and there, there's a bit of that, but it's also much more engaging, which I think speaks to Bradbury's skill as a writer, just in general. So, so can, can I just read because this is the part you're 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 hitting it right on the head, uh, Kurt. Uh, but right before the uh, description of the Velt itself, like there's this just brilliant little paragraph, um, sort of describing what they see right um so so uh, george and, and and it's lydia i'm sorry uh we said linda many times uh so george and lydia are standing in the nursery uh the first time around the nursery is silent it was as empty as a jungle glade at hot high noon the walls were blank and two-dimensional now as george and lydia hadley stood in the center of the room the walls began to purr and recede into crystalline distance it seemed and Presently, an African veldt appeared in three dimensions on all sides, in color, reproduced to the final pebble and bit of straw. The ceiling above them became a deep sky with a hot yellow sun. So I just want to point out that 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 description of like the walls sort of like purring and just sort of fucking off (laughs) into the distance just struck me as like wow what a great way to describe that too yeah it's a very uh it's a very prescient description there's a lot of moments like that um in in the story where i mean you have to remember like the state of home uh, when we start thinking about like the house of the future stuff um I don't remember which World's Fair that was really big at, but that that's a little bit more of like a slightly later fifties uh, idea. Like Bradbury was a, was a bit ahead of the curve here, and he 
he uh, he presages a lot of that very well. Uh, the other thing that struck me is the the, the visual describing George um, like walking up to the nursery or and like later as one of his kids walks through the house, like the lights coming on in each mm-hmm. area that they step into and turning off behind them. And you get this sense of, of like, like isolation. And it almost reminds me uh, of the bit in like Neuromancer where Case walks past the phones and each phone rings in yes. turn. You start getting this sense of like the house itself is this living, breathing system. Um, and that, that becomes much more front and center late, later in the story uh, but it's just there's like like the, the 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 humming that notion of like it's touching on this like this electrical imagery now now granted in the 1950s electric appliances hummed a fair bit louder than they do now if you've ever used old old appliances <laughs> they're 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 not as they're not really as a uh, whisper quiet as they are now um but but it was it was really fast or there's a there's a line later on where it says like um oh this really struck me where uh George has turned off so much of the house and and it's kind of jumping into Peter's point of view and he's lamenting and says like the house was full of dead bodies it seemed it felt like a mechanical cemetery none of the humming hidden energy of machines waiting to function at the tap of a button and I read that I was like wow like that really captures that sense of like modern like mechanical expectation that sense of like there's a bunch of stuff waiting to do stuff for me and it really works i don't know the it, sky it was the color of a tv uh turn turned to an empty channel yeah yeah it's it's hitting that tangibility of being surrounded by machines uh it, you know 35 or whatever it would be years uh before you know gibson was was doing the same stuff and it's just as evocative i have so, a qu- go ahead carla sorry oh i was just gonna point out um interesting side note uh the there is another story that Bradbury wrote um, that that features an automated house and is just just sort of devastating and it's in a different way uh, and and weirdly it was published before this one so I, I I wonder if he was just like on a kick of like well automated houses let's do a couple stories about that uh, go ahead Pete I'm sorry well uh, it's a question for you uh, you picked the story. Uh, could you talk to us about why? So one of the things I feel that uh, Bradbury captures really well here, uh, and I think Kurt was was sort of speaking to that partly, um, but but Bradbury is seems to be very interested in the idea of there's a moment in time in when you're growing up that you are sort of wild inside uh and you are just aching to be rid of your parents in some way shape or form there is sort of like an almost id um feeling that you know you could do this if only your parents wouldn't be in the way or something to that effect which is not I mean, it's 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 a, a completely immature feeling, and that's there's a reason why you have it when you're not quite mature. <laughs> and and the thing here is that you have this technology that can plumb that sort of uh, that sort of psychology and bring it to the fore. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting how uh, I, I think you would you would. Uh, referenced it earlier, Kurt, that a lot of the 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 sort of uh, parental and homekeeping drama sort of gets shuffled away because those are the things that really like the velt, the the how vivid the imagery is. And it's all because these are these are the images that Bradbury wants to make you feel disturbed by, in, in essence. Um, and sort of the wildness of Wendy and Peter uh, contrasted, you know, against the modernity angle, right? Mm-hmm. That somehow, regardless of how modern, th- you know, the this family is, you know, and surrounded by these trappings of of of, you know, automated this and you know, smart house that and so on and so forth, there is like this primalness that 
you know, exists still within the children. And it, it feels very, um, honestly, I, I, I was going to say Gothic almost, uh, in a, in a, in a very weird jet age way. Yeah, I can see that definitely. And, um, there is, yeah, there is that kind of collision of, of like the past and the future and kind of these, these, these lurking primal urges. Like when the psychologist shows up, it, 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 uh, it, it kind of ping pongs back and forth between being very 1950s and distressingly modern. Um, <laughs> and, and where, where, you know, the, the psychologist is like, well, you know, all all children hate their parents. It is, you know, the primal urge to rebel against it. And you know, you you could you can imagine uh, a guy in a white doctor's coat smoking a cigarette on a black and white newsreel, being like, it's the perennial struggle between children and the older generations as they struggle to set forth into the world. And, and but but the um the the conflict that seems to have kicked everything in motion has really nothing to do with technology at all. It's that the children wanted to take a trip to New York by themselves on some, like, uh, I forget the, the, the term, but it's, it's like a, you know, a futuristic helicopter thing or something like that. No, it's, it's a rocket, a rocket. <laughs> they wanted yeah, to take a go. rocket <laughs> yeah. to New York, which is that, that is totally 1950s. Uh, yes. Type and of and thing, it has, right? it, but, 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 but to the point though, it has, it has nothing to do with like giving or denying them technology. It's a very prosaic, uh, desire of like, well, I want to do something on my own. And, and, uh, uh, George and Lydia are like, well, they're too young to do that. And that's when everything started going bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the psychologist has this, this really interesting aside where he says, you know, these weren't created originally to be like, like a playground, like, like, like a mental playground that reads your thoughts of what you want. Originally they were like diagnostic tools and it would, we would use the impressions that they read from the brains of children to make sure that they were okay and that they weren't disturbed uh, in in some way. And now, you know, yours has become a feedback loop where it is presenting them with some kind of weird, dark desire that they have, and it's allowing them to indulge in it. Um, I almost wondered for a moment, I, 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 I wondered for a moment if if there was going to be an angle or like a possible interpretation of like, maybe the room is reading the parents fears at some level, hmm. but but it it never actually goes down that path at all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a combination of like prosaic, you know, age old hidden, you know, hidden primal urges and that very technology G whiz um, angle. So yeah, I get where you're coming from there. I, I have nothing to add to that. I that, that <laughs> felt that on. I have something to add, um, which was uh, I, I, there have, there, there were a variety of, uh, humorous House of Tomorrow uh, shorts and and related things. He pr- probably the most well known is like the whole Jetson series gets a lot of humor out of you know George fighting with his household appliances. Um, there was a well, Tex Avery cartoon. Oh, so, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the the Flintstones deliberately mocked it. That oh yes yes. <laughs> but yeah, coming coming at it from like a different uh, sort of angle, you know. Anyway, you were going to say there was a 1949 Tex Avery cartoon called The House of Tomorrow that was a a parody of like edutainment newsreels that is basically uh, like a comedic take on this sort of story where it's it's, you know, um, it's like a darkly comedic like here's the house of tomorrow. And it's kind of showing all these you know, wacky mishaps that play out in the house of tomorrow. So I, I was a little bit mistaken about, um, about when, uh, when that, that idea really became prominent. So it definitely seems like Bradbury was riffing on, on those same themes of like, you know, here's, here's an edutainment newsreel talking up all the modern conveniences that will soon be, be available to you. And what I love is, um, I I kind of I kind of also hate it because it's very on the nose, but I I do like it in terms of like the almost horror premise that it gives to the story, is where I think George says the house 
the house has become like mother and father to them. It's not us anymore. We're not even needed. They well, they that, seek care and sustenance from the house, not from us. I was yeah, I was gonna ask you that, Kurt, or, or both Kurt and Pete. Um because you weren't gonna I, ask I me, do, it's okay. It's it's fine. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean you're you're a dad to Chewy, so it's fine. Um what do, do you, you think Chewie is imagining in his belt? <laughs> <laughs> just like it's 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 a it's a freeway full of cars that all <laughs> taste like bacon. Um, uh, anyway, do you think because I, it's obvious that that is a um, to, to your to your point, Kurt, it is an anxiety that I feel like George and Lydia have. At the very least, George, uh, Lydia sadly is not much of a a as active a character. <laughs> no, there's a really corny part where she like she clings to George and goes, "Oh, George, protect me from the house." <laughs> very 1950s. But but do you do you think that George and Lydia are good parents, or, or are they or are they uh, as they have as they were saying basically? Is that just simply them admitting to themselves that they've let the house take care of the kids? Um, They are being self-critical of what they are doing and the ramifications that it has upon them as parents. And I think that without, you know, from the limited picture that we get of them as parents, I think that's as about that's about as much as you can ask of in, in terms of like actually seeing them being you know, good parents. It's, it's hard. It's hard to tell. Like George kind of definitely seems to be in this, this battle of wills with his children. And he's kind of coming at it with like a, a little bit of arrogance and and not really seeing them as, as full people yet. At the same time, mm-hmm. they are getting up to some weird shit in their fucking weird VR nursery. Um, So he's, his concerns were somewhat validated by the part where they get eaten by lions at the end. Um, <laughs> But, but I think that, you know, I, I, they, they definitely seem to be about as good parents as you can expect from you know a depiction of parenting in 1950s. Uh, there is one very weird line where so I, I don't remember if it's George or or, or their friend that the psychologist is like, you know, people. So it's been said that uh, children are a bit like carpets. You need to step on them from time to time. I was like, what's the, what the fuck? Was, yes. <laughs> I was thinking about that one. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is, in fact, the psychologist, uh, uh, which is like, mm, okay, um, <laughs> seems weird. I think I mean, they're certainly granted, trying I mean, to be I, good, though. I mean, also, I I, I would think that uh, that that may have been what a psychologist would might actually say in 1950. It's entirely possible, or he would be like, you know, what we need to do is is uh, to put them inside of a box with a series of rewards and punishments and buttons that zap them or dispense food pellets, <laughs> set them at each other, and the first one that uh, the first one that rats out the other. <laughs> What we need to do is uh, dose them with LSD and see what they do. <laughs> oh, that that's that was a psychologist that you absolutely know got uh, certain yeah, funding that was earmarked yeah. from uh, certain <laughs> patrons. No one really wants to mention who they are. I uh, um, Towards the end of this episode, I would like to make a plea to the audience in that there is a fairly similar short story that is – like a famous short story and I can't find it anymore. And if somebody can tell me what it is, I would be thrilled. Mm. Crowdsource amongst the, amongst the listeners. Exactly. Excellent. All right. So uh, I, go I, ahead. I, I just learned something interesting. Um, do you know what the original title uh, of the, sh- of the Velt was apparently? No, no. What? The world, the children made. Mm-mm. Which which plays both on the literal world that they made in here and exactly what I was saying at the beginning about how the sense of like children belonging to tomorrow and you will never you it's yeah. no longer your world. It's it's their world now. Um, and you they, they are somewhat alien to you as a result is is the sense of like it's it's about it's the future that is the, is the world that that the children made. There's a part of me that feels like. Bradbury read childhood's end and then wrote this. Hmm. Uh, hmm. You know that that, that feel that feeling of being separated from your kids and not understanding them and having them be alien entities, which 
Um, I mean, to be fair, Bradbury loves that alien vibe. He loves having someone appear to be someone close to you and also be like a monster. So, Ch- so Childhood Zen came Childhood out later Zen. than this, didn't it? Yeah. I have no idea. Okay. Yes, yeah, three three years ahead of time. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's simply something that that um, I mean, it's it's a it's like a I think it's like a perennial anxiety as well as being you know sort of um, something that that is to an extent uh, an an actual anxiety. I don't I don't know that we need to have and you know arguably a, a, a generation. Yeah, I mean, but but we we don't necessarily need to have the concept of like a uh, what is it the generational uh, war or whatever. Uh, that's sort of a silly thing, but but it also is like yeah, it's it's also part of the you know I would say part of the hero's journey type of storytelling, right? Where mm-hmm. the 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 mentor or the father figure or the or the parental figure, uh, if we want to go a little bit more neutral, uh, needs to die. Um, perhaps literally, as in the case with this story, or or figuratively, you know, or symbolically, in in some way, shape, or form, for the apprentice or hero to you know sort of come into their own, um, and that's sort of like I think that that's sort of the what I was getting at before, like the idea of this wildness in the children who have been defied by their by George. Um, now, the the their imaginings are actually given sort of like um sort of fleshed out by mm-hmm. by the nursery <laughs> fleshed out Ooh-hoo. did uh, you did, did you notice the extent to which the adults are infantilized um in, in the story because there there's a particular passage that is a little bit off-putting where it's talking about how stressed out the parents were at night and about how, like, no matter how how much the house rocked them, they wouldn't mm-hmm. go to sleep. And it's talking about the parents, not not the children, um, mm-hmm. which yep. is very weird. <laughs> it, 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 which, I mean, it's it's, it's clearly like pointed intentional imagery. Um, but it's, it's, well, it's that, both, yeah. Sorry, that discussion between the husband and the wife, where she's saying uh, something along the lines of, "Well, you're still doing a few useful things." I've got mm-hmm. nothing. The, yeah, she she says the house is wife and mother now and nursemaid, which is certainly again is a very 1950s view of the division of labor in a household, but but accurately reflecting what it would have been at the same time, you know, for absolutely well, I, I for good would or also Ill, say, say for ill, but I would also say that the underlying argument here is that um, technology flattens, right? Mm-hmm. So at the same at the same time as like yes, there is that that um, that section where where uh, yeah, they're rocking them to sleep when they when they hear. I think it's after they hear the screams. Yeah, like, oh, that sounds familiar. And it didn't matter how how much the house rocked them back to sleep, they couldn't you know they couldn't find it again or whatever. Anyway, the the point being, I feel like that flattening the technology does is being sort of addressed in a in a way here, so that. Now, perhaps to Bradbury's um, sort of conception of what a parental figure should be, the, the the kids are now within striking distance because they're not that far distant to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 parents are infantilized, but also the kids are sort of somehow given more agency. They wonder outright, like, is there some way that Peter basically hacked the holodeck uh, yeah. to to make it dangerous? He is very clever, which again is a is a very prescient sort of thing. That's a, that's oh, a very now concern because um, that's the new job. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Did you guys ever read with folded hands? Mm-mm. I can't say that I have. Oh fuck, sure. guys. Like, like we should have done a double header with with folded hands. Uh, can I give you a two minute summary? Please do. Oh, go for it. Well, <laughs> a uh, there's there's this this couple that own a robot dealership and they're going out of business because a new type of robot has come into town and they're being sold for basically nothing and they can do everything in the household and they end up getting a border and it turns out that border created those robots. 
And the idea behind those, what, what he tried to do is remove all risks from people's lives and make them perfectly safe. And so these robots are showing up, taking over every job, going to every house, working for basically nothing, and making it so you don't do anything. You don't interact with your children. They hold a book and read it to you. They go work your job and bring the paycheck. And this lone guy who created them is trying to figure out a way to shut them down. And it is grim shit, ladies and gentlemen. That sounds cool. Yeah, that would have made a nice a nice doubleheader. Oh, well, too mm. bad. <laughs> it didn't happen. But the folks at home can do it. Chewy, you are so helpful. Thank you. He's just trying to re- remind you that, uh, you know, where, where it first appeared. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to make perfectly clear, even though you can hear the annoyance of my my voice, I do love that idiot. <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's charming environmental sounds. What if what if what if there is no chewy and you just have like a like a soundboard and you just kind of play? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, that would it's, be a very uh, annoying bit, I have to say. It's it's when it's when AS the A in ASMR means aggressive. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, so um I I don't know. I mean, honestly, there there is a there is a lot I feel that is that you can always find in a in a Bradbury story, um, but I don't know that there's all that much more unless I'm sadly mistaken. Well, um, go ahead. I I have two things that I, I don't know if they're how much they're present in the story, but I think you can see them as influences that would have been of of the time and are probably less in our mind now because times have changed. Um, and the, the two things, or, or rather they become so omnipresent that they're not even like detectable to us now. Um, the, the, the first of them we already kind of talked around, but is the, the gendered way that home automation was perceived at the time. And a big part of the pitch was it's making women's lives easier because it was understood that women did did the household labor and that what was being automated was that household labor and that's why it's important that they are that that's why Lydia's anxiety is different than George's I think is she's saying my job my purpose as sexist as that as that you know uh understanding of the world's order is she says my purpose is being replaced um mm-hmm. be, because home home automation was not a a general thing at the time it was very much pitched as make your wife's life easier uh make your wife's life easier rather and i, I guess unless you're in uh, uh <laughs> unless you're in uh, utah, <laughs> utah. Um, so, uh, yeah. and, and, and that's 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 one thing the other thing is um the idea of youth culture uh and this idea that like children aren't just small adults and and that the you know children getting together and getting up to stuff is something to be feared has a very different tenor in the 40s and 50s than it does now like uh, w- one of the big scandals of like the 30s and 40s was the the arise of of youth culture with like the flappers and, and then um, the uh, uh, like, like the beat generation, there's this idea Mm -hmm. of like, Oh, well, you know, the kids are up to something. Whereas, you know, kids used to just be like little adults and they went from being, you know, children. And suddenly one day they were working at, you know, uh, the accountant's office and, and, you know, they're, they're wearing one of those little like stockbroker visors and, <laughs> and, and writing things down in a ledger. And now, now, you know, children want to have their own, their own existence and their own culture and their own ways about them. Um, and now I think that's something that's taken for granted that like, you know, kids have kid interests and there's things that, that, that kids are into that adults don't care about. And there's movies for kids. Um, and that is much that that's very much a a function of of modernity that that was still a, a much newer idea 
when Bradbury was was writing than it would have been now. So there's a, there's an aspect of this that I think kind of takes on the almost the character of like uh, of like a 70s or 80s like youth gang, you know, thriller mm. slash slash horror film where this idea of the kids are up to something is not necessarily something that was just taken for granted and there were still adults or much more adults pining for, I wish kids would just be freaking normal again and stop doing weird kid shit that I don't understand. Why, why are they adult. listening to that music? Exactly. So exactly. much jangling. Exactly. Um, but but uh, sort of to your point and, and perhaps shaped by the times that everyone was surrounded by. Um, I mean, it wasn't because, because this, Definitely sounds and in his pitch too, sort of like a suburban uh, household sort of uh, audience, right? And it's supposed to reflect those same values back to, you know, like a suburban housewife or or uh, the, her husband, you know, that that being whatever being whatever it may actually be. But, Chewy, but the, it's not sexist. Calm down. <laughs> the uh the thing that strikes me is that the Lydia's anxieties are I mean it sounds awful today but they they were anxieties that were shaped by the environment that women were sort of stuck in which is basically being sort of like alone perhaps mistrustful of their neighbors the only thing that they they were given to do and allowed to do on a regular basis was housework. And if a house takes that away from them, well, then, you know, th I mean, honestly, I, I would be a little aggrieved Yeah, as well. Well, and this is such a one. Well, I'm wonderful. It's probably the wrong word. I'm just enthusiastic. It's such a narrow moment in history where uh, the the. The opinions of, of of women and the treating them as human beings was actually in the process of blossoming. Mm. But at the same time, they sort of had this weird, isolated role. And I mean, I sort of think of her as the more prescient one of the pair. Because like what that what she's talking about is happening to her. I mean, it's gonna happen to George. George is fooling himself. True, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's the next step. Um, so what's, what's, so Carla, what's interesting is, you know, at, at this time, um, to your point and to Pete's point about this being kind of a singular moment, there was becoming an awareness of women as actual, you know, full humans who might have their own wants and desires, but at the same time, uh, in, in popular culture, uh, a lot of the messaging was still coming from men. So it was mm -hmm. men. Uh, again, it's that thing of like, hey, men, don't you want to make life easier for your little lady back at home? You know, and it's kind of like patting yourself on the back for being like, look, I've recognized that she's a human and she has wants and needs. And maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make the domestic servitude in which she is, she, she is, you know, culturally confined a little bit more pleasant. Mm -hmm. um, and it would be really interesting to get, uh, you know, uh, a women's view on on a story, uh, uh, like like this same story written, you know, by a female author, effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. be because I I I think you have to assume there would be, you know, a layer to it that is that that would go beyond what Bradbury, in all likelihood, was 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 able to tap into, which feels very based on that that again that that male voiced popular culture. Of you know, women's role is in the home, and we're automating that. And maybe there's something bad about that. And uh, it, it's it's just kind of like a missing. It's kind of missing from the story because it is it is like the male viewpoint still. Yeah. Even yeah, though no, yes, no. like she she definitely is the more prescient one within the confines uh, of the story. So, I mean, Kurt, I'd like to point uh, out that you have your hand up. Is is there something else you'd like to discuss? Uh, it's, it's the fact that there's the raise your hand button and I clicked on it by accident. Um, okay. I don't know, how, I don't know how to put my hand down. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Pete has raised their hand now. So oh, no, yeah, you can Pete, click the raise your hand button again. It'll go away. Oh, 
I am and, I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Kurt. I, yeah, I, I I totally agree with you that it is it is sort of it, it's difficult to really parse because it is you know Bradbury speaking, sort of reflecting a male viewpoint. Uh, that, you know, whether, uh, you know, whether Lydia would have come up with that same anxiety on her own or kept it to herself, you know, it's, it's hard to say because it's Bradbury and Bradbury is a dude. So, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And that's the last Amazing. week, that's the last we ever heard of Pete. <laughs> <laughs> he was I, never heard from again. Sorry, he he was barking at his sister, which is a no go. <laughs> can, can can I say there is there? I, I want to sit. I, I want to highlight um, two lines in this story. One of which I really liked, and one of which was the only sentence that I thought was bad in the, in the whole story. Yes, please uh, go for it. I'm going to start with the one I liked. And it's it's actually technically two sentences. Um, it is uh, when the psychologist and George go to look at the velt, and they're talking about how dire it is. It's right before they leave, and it says the lions were finished with their red feast. And there's a, and then there's a there's, there's a line break, and then it says the lions were standing on the edge of the clearing watching the two men. The repetition <laughs> of the construction, both sentences starting, the lions were. With no description of action, right? There's no the the only the only verb in that. Well, the 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 main verb in both sentences is is to be is were, um, is very ominous because it gives the impression of a sudden but unseen movement. One mm-hmm. moment the lions are finishing their meal, the next moment they're standing on the edge of the clearing watching them. There's no description of like the lions turning, the lions coming closer. It's 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 uh it's like a, a a prose version of of that effect from a horror film where somebody sees someone way off in the distance looks away and then looks back and they've moved closer um I mean, but no I, actual I would, movement is seen i was already adding in my imagination like the little vhs tracking line and zzz, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i thought that was just really well uh well written um and it's just a nice little little craft well, yeah, and it's it's sort of placing two things next to each other to give the second sentence a much more ominous mm-hmm. than, than just the lines were looking at them. Okay, that's fine. Exactly. No, they were finished with their red feast, and then suddenly they're looking at them. You're mm-hmm. like, oh. The sentence I didn't like, I hate, in fact, is... And suddenly they realized why those other screams had sounded familiar. Yes. Oh, God. I was yes. like, come the fuck on, Edgar. That was lame. Come on. Come on. I don't know. I, I have to assume that was an editorial note of like, come on, Ray. Can you can you, can you you punch? Can you, can you make it very obvious for, for the reader at the end? It, it's just, it, it wasn't needed. It was so, it was so transparently obvious what the screams <laughs> were. It's, it, we don't need to say that. It's like, what if the reader was dumb? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that 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 one is really a clunker in in an otherwise really great. Like, I don't think in much of this it it sort of tries to hold your hand about stuff. It's a tight story. There's not a lot of wasted motion, and I appreciate that. All right. So, um, I guess uh, I'll, I'll say uh, one one addendum, Pete. Uh, I believe I want to say that. I may have run across the story in one of my um, school, like uh, high school readings or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one that I can, I, I definitely know I read as part of like a, a, an English course was um, all of summer in a day. But I, I, I'm trying to remember where I ran across the veldt. Uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe I ran, I was in a room and it, uh, the, the room responded to my imagination <laughs> and produced the vouch for me. I don't know. Anyway, yep. um, I guess last thoughts. Uh, well, after the last thoughts, I've got a, uh, yes, your, 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 your plea to the audience. Yes. It is a charming story that 
works in part because it is written from the perspective of another era, but the themes are all still very prescient. If this were a story, if this were written now, it could very easily be a story about like, you know, kids getting radicalized on the computer or violent video games or something. And I think it would be, it would, it would take a really deft hand to not make it feel too on the nose and and corny. Whereas I, I think that this story has aged very gracefully because the themes are still relevant, but it's written from it, it's it's kind of it's it's a to us new perspective on stuff that we still care about because it was written you know a half century ago, uh, and so we we are getting a different point of view on our own concerns than what we would normally get, and so yeah. I, I think that that is a big strength of it. Not not to be the the decade pedant, but um, it is actually seventy two years ago. I did say over a half century. I think <laughs> seventy two. You're fine. You're fine. I, I'm just. I'm it just could be being president a, someday. A prick. <laughs> it could be president someday. Yes. Amazing. Um, I'm basically okay, but uh, Carlo, I think you've earned the right to a close on this because you've uh, you've thought about it. You've proposed it. We're here, man. I mean, I I agree uh, wholeheartedly with Kurt. Like the 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 funny thing is that as I was reading this and revisiting it, because I haven't like revisited it in possibly more than a decade. I don't know. And sure, um, there's some parts here where it it does completely feel like something that would have been written in the fifties specifically, you know, the, the parts that we've already discussed regarding, um, you know, division of labor, gender division of labor and so on and so forth. And, and sort of like the, the roles that Lydia and George hold, but everything else felt very, like the more I read it, I was like, wow, this, this really still feels relevant, you know, and it's one of those things. It's, I don't know that uh, Bradbury was ever writing for, you know, like that uh, timelessness that a lot of authors try to go for uh, in sci-fi. And I, I don't know if it's completely uh, something that, that works. Uh, I will also say that, uh, and this may be simply an addendum to something I, I'd forgotten to mention really interesting to start basically the first section of the story is almost a back and forth of dialogue, which is very strange for modern sensibilities, mm -hmm. uh, especially for like short fiction and whatnot. But you know, if it works, it works. Right. Uh, Pete, I believe you have an impassioned plea to our audience. Yes. I've been searching for a story for more than a decade, and when I read it, I thought it was a very known and popular story, but I can't find the damn thing. Okay, so help me, audience. Uh, the, the, the conceit of the story is you're dealing with a 1950s, uh, like, normal American middle-class family where they, you know, they work in factories, they've got school, they... They, they weekend doing fun stuff. And over time, you realize that they're like wearing sackcloth and they're eating like uh, proto-carb swill. And there's something being done to them to make them think they're doing all these things. And they're actually living in these very tiny cells being maintained. And after a while, it switches to a council of human beings who are talking about all this stuff, saying, hey, there's too many people now. This is the only thing we can do. At least they feel like they're having these rich and exciting lives. And then these guys go off and do things like water ski and climb mountains and stuff. And then it switches and it turns out like they're eating proto-carb and living in tiny cells, too. I've seen this. It's, I, I think it's called The Matrix. <laughs> I was, was going to say that. <laughs> no, it sounds it, it sounds really great. It though, sounds honestly. like the Matrix. It sounds really cool. Yeah, huh, it's it's really grim. <laughs> oh, but uh, I want one, it. one one last thing I do want to mention is that I I referenced uh, another automated house story that Bradbury had written prior to this one. That automated house story, which is 
sort of tragic and beautiful at the same time is called um, uh, There Will Come Soft Rains. So uh, go go out and check it out as well. Um, In any case, uh, if that is it, gents, thanks again for indulging me and and reading one of these stories that I've recommended. Uh, And to everyone out there listening in, We'll catch you next time here at Podside.